Today, we have another one of our exclusive gearing up segments, which is all about great gear, ideas, and hacks that make the difference between calling it quits or continuing on your ride. And today on Gearing Up, it's the essential pannier. Now, you don't have to be riding very far before you're going to find the need to carry some gear with you. Maybe a change of clothes, rain gear, lunch, or all your gear for a multi-day adventure. And that's going to bring you to the place that we are today, choosing a pannier system. And when you're sitting there staring the pannier idea in the face, the first question is a showstopper. Do you choose hard or soft luggage? Well, that depends. It depends on a bunch of things, really, but it all starts with you. And that's what we're talking about today, with a few stories and tips thrown in as well. My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vince. Simon Pavey. Brian Phil. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Elspeth Jansen. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Products is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. CyclePump.com. Okay, hard versus soft luggage. Well, not versus, but which is better? Which one should you buy? Spoiler alert, we aren't going to tell you which one you should buy because it really can't be done. Imagine someone trying to tell you what your favorite food should be. It's ridiculous, of course. And it's pretty much the same when it comes to outfitting your motorcycle. We all have different wants, needs, and desires, but we're lucky because we have so many choices out there. However, sometimes those choices can make things even more difficult to decide. So many products, so much information. So what we're going to do today is we're going to hear from some very experienced travelers and motorcyclists, as well as a few industry folks, to get some real-world information on the differences between hard and soft luggage panniers. We even have one alternative, so if you don't want to go hard or soft, there's an alternative for you. Stick around for that. We're going to get some information that should help anyone figure out what's going to be best for them. Now, if you've done any comparisons up till now between hard and soft luggage, one of the first things you're going to come across is someone saying, Don't use hard luggage because it will break your leg. Now, it seems plausible. You put your foot down on the ground. It catches on the ground. The bike continues moving forward. Your leg then comes in contact with the sharp edge of the hard pannier and a bone snaps. That's where we're starting with one of the most well-known riders in the adventure motorcycle community, Ted Simon. Ted did a round-the-world trip that most of us know back in 1972. It turned out to be a far more significant trip than even he could have imagined in his planning process. When the trip was completed, Ted wrote Jupiter's Travels, which is a must-read for any rider, even traveler. It's a classic book that continues to fly off the shelves even all these years later. About 28 years after that original trip, that 1972 trip, Ted decided to do it again, to retrace his route. But this time, he was riding a BMW R80GS. Now, you'll, you'll remember if you know the story, he was riding a Triumph in 1972. This time, when he's riding this BMW R80GS, which was loaned to him for this trip, he had a nice set of hard panniers mounted to it. 
Ted, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. I'm very pleased to be back again. What does the godfather of adventure motorcycling do on a day-to-day basis now? Well, you know, I won't say I'm getting ready to die because I'm hoping that there'll still be a while, but but, um, but things are tailing off, you know. I mean, I'm 90 years old, but what am I doing? I'm preparing a book that I have promised to publish in, in October. Uh, that, there's quite a lot of work involved in doing that. And I'm not pushing myself too hard. So that's um, that's really all I'm up to. Do you feel 90? No, I don't. Of course I don't. I don't. Yeah. I, I'm, um, but but I'm, I don't know. Other people have the same experience that I have, and maybe it's a bad sign. But whenever I look in the mirror, the, the person I see there is not the person that I feel like. Yeah, you're not acting your age is really what the problem is. Yeah. Which is a good thing, I think. <laughs> I <hope> so. <laughs> so, so with um, you, you've got a story about panniers. We're we're, we're talking uh, about panniers, hard hard panniers versus soft panniers, and there's many arguments for them. But the one argument that does come up a lot is that breaking the leg thing. You had an experience with this. When did you have this experience? What were you doing? Yeah, I had it in in, in Africa. I was um, coming out of Ethiopia into Kenya. Okay, now what we're talking about here is not Ted's original journey. His original journey around the world, he left in in October of 1973. He was 42 years old. He rode his Triumph Tiger uh, around the world, 64,000 miles, 45 countries. All that became Jupiter's Travels, the book that we all know and love. What we're talking about here is this is a trip that he did in January of 2001 to sort of re-ride the same trip to see what had changed in the, the 28 years between the two trips. Yes. Yeah, I had it in in Africa. I was um, coming out of Ethiopia into Kenya, and I got the the timing just really just a day or two wrong. You know, the the, the weather had been dry two days earlier, and then on the night that I was planning to cross the border, then the rain hits, big storm, and turns everything to mud for you. Yeah, yeah, and I kind of knew what that presaged. I knew that on the other side, the road from Moyali going south to Masabit was going to be difficult. At first, I was able to get ahead of all the lorries and get on the road before they'd mustered all up, and I did fairly well, but then there was a bad moment. The bike fell over, and, uh, and raising the bike and getting back on it took a lot longer because the road was so slippery. Um, and by then, one or two lorries had gone past, and then things got worse. And eventually, about 50 miles down the road, I ran into a, a very heavy, muddy patch. And paddling it through that, I went over on my right, and that was when I first heard the first of my first bone, bone-breaking in, in my life. I'd never broken a bone until that point. Yeah, that's pretty lucky, isn't it? Especially um, since you'd already did a trip around the world back in uh, 73, 74. So how old were you at this point? I was not quite 70, not quite. Yeah. So now I I want to get to the sort of mechanics of what exactly happened here as far as you putting your foot down, et cetera. But does age come into play here? Do you you think that um, it's it's brittle bones sort of thing? Well, I don't think age, age has anything to do with it. Strength, maybe. I'm not sure if I could have prevented it happening if uh, if, if I'd 
maybe had more strength in my right leg, I might have possibly have been able to hold the bike up a little. I don't know. But the, the trouble is, what happened was that my foot was in the mud. Uh, the bike was moving forward. I couldn't get my foot forward and the bike fell over and my leg was dragging a bit and that's why the box caught it and the box I realized afterwards was actually set too far forward on the bike I wish it had been a little further back I probably would have missed it so that's you know if you can imagine that situation that's that's probably why it broke my leg it was a very clean break it only broke one of broke the tibia and um I hope it's the tibia, or is it the fibula? The smaller of the two. <laughs> and, uh, um, and, and I felt no pain at all. Uh, it, it was just, um, it was just uh, a terrible shock at first. You know, oh Christ, you've done it now. Um, that sort of thing. And then when I eventually managed to drag it out from underneath, I still, you know, you you hear about it being agonizing, but for one reason or another, during the whole process, it never hurt me. But getting out of trouble was interesting. And I was in the middle of nowhere. There was absolutely no one around except for these lorries going past. Um, and uh, one of them stopped and looked at me, but basically there wasn't anything they could do. And there were some kids around and uh, very scared, some from the lo local tribe people. And uh, finally, one of them bucked up enough courage to actually come close enough to talk. And I shouted at him all sorts of things in the hope that he would understand what was actually happening. I think they thought I was just lying there for fun. <laughs> this is what this is what Mzungi, the, what white people do, you know, it's like lion blood. <laughs> but um, but finally, I found a word that he he understood, doctor, and I said, doctor, go, doctor, 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 and they did. They ran off and found somebody, and the whole thing was really quite miraculous because. I was in an area where the, the map showed absolutely nothing. And I'd never heard anything about this place, but I was about five kilometers away from a hospital, hmm. um, which um, catered for mostly for the tribal people around there. It was, uh, I think, a religious foundation of some kind. And before very long, well, when I say that, it was probably took about three quarters of an hour, a car came, and there were a couple of plainclothes policemen in it who who were very gentle and very kind, and uh, and managed to get me into the car, having first put plastic down on the seat because I was covered in mud, <laughs> and, uh, um, and drove me off to this hospital. And uh, and and there was a, an Italian an Italian doctor there who, was, uh, who had exiled himself from Italy for some. Uh, quite mysterious reason. He would never tell me why. He said, I will never, never go back to Italy again, he said. Um, but he wouldn't tell me why. Well, you hope it's not a malpractice thing or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I've frankly never thought of that. I've never even thought of that. <laughs> and he said, he's, he, he, he plastered the leg up. Um, he, he, he said he could have repaired it. He could have done the whole job. 
but there was a bulb you didn't have. And uh, bulb, I said, yes, the bulb for the X-ray. He he couldn't operate his X-ray because didn't have a bulb. And I realised at that point, you know, just how dependent these um, these charitable institutions are for getting the funding that they need for one thing or another. Mm. Um, so all he could do was just uh, splint it and and wrap it up in plaster and and then you know a, a number of other miraculous things happened as they always seemed to happen for me in africa you know it turned out there was an airplane an airplane turned up not for me it turned up for somebody else but they they got me on it and and i went to nairobi and was in a hospital 24 hours later and, and uh, the whole job got done by dr Mzumbi. And they said, oh, I'm glad the nurses also, oh, we're so glad you got him because the other one's no good. (laughs) 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 He he did a great job. And uh, eventually, you know, when my leg was usable again, I went back up to that hospital and got the bike. It's part of the reason why when I got to Australia, I decided to get rid of the hard boxes and, and because I'd been thinking about them all the way down there. And uh, and I persuaded a fellow called Andy Strat to make some prototype bags, soft bags. As far as I know, he'd never done it before. I don't even know if anybody else had. But he made uh, some amazing bags, and I, I use them now. I've still got them on the bike. Uh, they're sort of roll-top bags. You can put as much in them as you want, and you don't have to fill it. You know, one of the, the real... The other real problem about hard boxes is that you've got to fill them because otherwise everything rattles around and it all turns to paste. Mm-hmm. And they're um, always the full size that, you know, no matter if you have just one thing in it or whether it's full, it's always the same size on the outside. That's right. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, it's obviously it's a common problem. Um, I, I had a, a few other ideas which never got done, I thought it would be a good idea if you also had at the same time a sort of bucket-shaped fender on the side of the bike that that these bags could hang in so that when you do go over, um, the the bike doesn't slide on the bags, that it slides on on this protective piece of tin. I never got that done. Hmm. I never got anything done when I got back from these journeys. I had to leave it to Herbert Schwartz to do it with Touratech. (laughs) You know, I, I have to, I, a question popped into my mind as you're telling the story. And, and I was thinking, when you're laying there in the mud, when you first broke your leg yeah. and you're looking for help, did it run through your mind? Did you sit there and think, I wonder who's going to come to help me and what adventure this is going to lead to? Well, of course, yeah. No, yeah I always do. Yeah. That's how it always happens, yes. <laughs> because I wasn't in pain. That's the main thing. I do hate pain. I don't know anybody who, who likes it. Um, uh, and and uh, I'm just so lucky that that uh, nothing hurt, um, and, and so I had plenty of time to lie there and and think about what might happen. That um, thought process has to make things easier to deal with, or sort of change your perspective with things, you know, because. You could certainly look at that as a horrible catastrophe. You're in the middle of nowhere. You're in Africa. You break your leg. You're on a trip. It means you're you're going to be late. I mean, everything is wrong about that. But to have that attitude of, I wonder what's going to happen to me, what I'm going to learn, who I'm going to meet, that changes the perspective, the whole situation. 
Yeah, completely. And, uh, and I mean, I just take it for granted that anybody who wants to do the kind of thing I was doing should have that attitude. I mean, I think you you have to believe that good things will come of accidents. I, I'm, all my accidents have been really very good ones. No, they've all led to um, nice discoveries, interesting meetings, um, un unusual events that I would never otherwise have known. So. Back to the actual leg break. Do you stand on your pegs ever or, or do you never do that? I, I do, but not very much. I have to admit, I don't. Uh, <laughs> in fact, the, there was a, there was a, a, a review in an American magazine when my first book, Jupiter's Travels, came out, and and the guy who read who, who was reviewing it, he was disgusted. He he said not only did this guy keep having trouble and getting complaining, which I don't do, but he said he complained about everything, you know, having such a hard time, but he never even got on his pegs. <laughs> and, <laughs> And of course, I'd come to motorcycles knowing nothing about them at all, and nobody had ever even said anything to me about how you know getting on your pegs. So, on my first trip round, I don't think I ever did because I didn't know why why you would do that. I knew a bit more about it the second time I went round, but I, I'm still not in that was still not in the habit of doing it. Well, you're not like a lot of bike riders nowadays that, that are that are bike riders that set off to do the adventure. You you sort of got swept into the motorcycle thing. You were about the travel, the motorcycle was your transportation, and then next thing you know, as the years go by, you've become a, a biker. That, well, that's right. If I ever did, I mean, I'm, I still don't really compare with. With, um, with with most of the people that I meet who are much better on motorcycles than I am. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still a wimp when it comes to, you know, riding across a lot of loose sand or, or mud or things. It's very hard hard for me to get my uh, courage together and, and charge into it the way I think you're supposed to, on your pegs, of course. Mm. Well, you'll get better as you get older. I mean, you've got more time to... <laughs> Right. <laughs> More time to practice. Plenty of time. I'm not. Yeah. So, so soft bags are are your your choice now. Do you dislike hard panniers because of that? Pretty. Yeah. I, uh, a, they were very expensive, <laughs> and um, and B, I, I think I I have to I have to be sort of reasonable. I mean, I think in Europe and in, in places where you're not going to fall over and where, where you can afford to carry a lot of stuff and fill them up with with beach towels, for example, <laughs> would be they're okay. Of course they're okay, but but uh, as a, as a really as a really practical solution for doing hard hard stuff on bad surfaces in strange places, I I, I think soft bags would be would be better. You got to Australia. You said you, you switched to soft bags. Was there anything that you missed afterwards? Did did you you know get to the point where you say, oh geez, I, I went missed the way I could I could use the the hard bags to sit on or or whatever? Was was there anything that popped into your mind or that you found aggravating that you? Oh, I never I, I never regretted it for a minute. Hmm. Never. I couldn't think of any reason why the hard boxes would would be better. And just of course, what would be great would be if they went on and developed. A really, really powerful, resistant material. I don't know. For all I know, they have. I've not been looking at other bags. 
um, maybe maybe they have not done that because my bags did. Uh, well, one of them got ripped on a bridge in India because I got too close to a truck that we were all struggling to get across this bridge together. Um, so things can happen to them, you know. So you'd want you'd want very tough stuff, and you'd want also, I suppose, to have the ability to repair them on the road. That wouldn't be difficult. People talk about security with they feel a little bit better with the hard panniers in some cases because they can lock them up. Yeah, that's true. But uh, yeah, I, I don't. It's a, it's it's. I just have to think, uh, try to think of times when that would have been a real problem, and there weren't really weren't many. Um, they can be pretty pretty well secured. Uh, you'd need to come along with a very sharp knife and a fair amount of time in order to get into them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't think I don't think that's as much of a problem as as people might think. But it is very nice to be able to take them into a hotel room uh, just by lifting them off. Rather, the, the, the hard boxes are much harder to move around. Mm-hmm. Ted, I, I want to um, just give you a quick plug bef- before we go for your book. You, you mentioned it briefly there. You've been working on it. You've been, you've been posting it online. We, we talked a little bit about this. What is the book? The book, well, <laughs> you know, it started really because um, I for one reason or another, have always lived a long way away from my kids. And I know that there were a lot of questions that I would like to ask my mother, um, but I didn't get to ask them until she died. And I, and I think that that is a very common thing, that people don't think to ask them, their parents the kinds of questions that they later wish they had. And, and so I, I did two things. I mean, one of the things I did, which I'm quite proud of, is I, I recorded a very long conversation with my son when he was 10 years old. And, uh, yeah. and it's really, really nice to hear that young voice piping up and, and being so confident and, and uh, sure of himself, you know. Mm-hmm. It's lovely recollection. So, so I thought, well, one one thing I could do, since I'm a writer, is I could write um, the story of my my life, and then they can read that. And um, because I'm a writer, it was very hard not to do it as a proper written piece. And that's how I started off. Um, th- there was another another reason why I started, and that was because I read a book in French by. Um, Pagnol, who is very is is very famous in Europe, um, should be in America, um, but uh, he wrote about his childhood, and it was so um, it was so lyrical and so amazing, and so much fun reading the relationships that he had with his his parents and his sister and his friends, and uh, you know, living in a, a very quiet, safe time in history before the First World War. And I realized, of course, that there was no way I could write anything like that because I lived alone with my mother and, and we we lived in a very difficult times living through the war and so on. Um, but I took, I took on the challenge of trying to do something and it all sprang from that. It's just been going on and I didn't really know what to do with it while I was writing it. And I thought, well, maybe it would be interesting to see what people thought of, of a few chapters. 
and uh, and I got a very good response from it, and people wanted it, and it's, it was it was the same way that Dickens, for example, used to used to publish his books. They weren't published as books; they were published in in serial form in a magazine. You'd have to wait every month, you know, for the next for the next part, um, and uh, and it, it just seemed to work very well. You know, I also wondered whether, because once I started thinking of it as a book that could actually be published, I wondered whether, it, you know, if I was giving it all away for free, um, would uh, would people want to buy it? But uh, surprisingly, many, many hundreds actually have said that they would definitely buy the book. And, and so I'm going ahead with it as a, as a proper publishing venture. What's it called? Um, it's. It probably will be called interruptions, because um, <laughs> because that 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 was a, a a phrase that I sort of made very well known from the first book, which was that uh, that it's the interruptions that are the journey. So when you're done this book, what's the next book you're going to work on? I have no idea. That's pushing it a bit, isn't it? I have no idea what the next book would uh, be. I'm just trying to get some advance because we have an interview scheduled for when you turn 100, remember? So I just... Oh, I'm, that's right. Yes. But we were going to do that in heaven, I thought. Well, I'd rather not. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> if, if, it would be a shame to have to drag you up there. Yeah, I, you no, know, I agree. I'd, I'd rather not. I mean, maybe we can just do it on Skype or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> Ted, that was great. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. Bye, Jim. was Ted Simon, the godfather of long-distance motorcycle travel, from his home in France. And as you heard Ted say, he's working on that new book that should be out very soon, if not already. Drop by his website to follow the progress or buy the book. Of course you should buy the book. The website is jupitalia.com, and we have that link in the show notes in case you have trouble spelling it. Uh, of course, we have all the links in the show notes for this episode, all at adventureriderradio.com. We're going to take just a quick break. i got a couple things to tell you about, but stick around. We have a lot more coming up. Stay with us. Go light, go fast, go far with Giant Loop. Giant Loop, again, is one of those companies started by a rider and making gear for other riders. So it's uh, riders making products for riders, and you, and you can't beat that. I really think that is a, a great model. The Giant Loop difference is they make bags for the job. Unnecessary weight and bulk are removed in their designs. So instead, they focus on lighter, simpler gear that um, serves its purpose. You don't have all those extra straps and buckles that are so common with all kinds of uh, packs and things and gear that you buy nowadays. Giant Loop is well known for their Loop-style bags that mount on any bike. No rack required. They'll fit on just about anything. They also have handlebar bags, tank bags, and some really good-looking panniers as well. Their website is giantloopmoto.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. giantloopmoto.com. I don't want you to get excited about the fact that IMS Products makes a full line of Adventure Motorcycle foot pegs, or that they're all made with CAST-certified 17-4 stainless steel, or that they've all been through a certified heat treating process, or even that they're all built in the USA. 
What I do want you to get excited about is what IMS Products foot pegs will do for you as a rider when you're riding. Like how the added traction and leverage of the IMS peg will increase your ability to control your motorcycle. The added leverage of the oversized peg combined with just the right amount of teeth on that peg to suit your riding style will keep you better connected to your bike. And then through the durability of the materials, their warranty, and even their looks, you've got an amazing thing on your motorcycle. IMSproducts.com is their website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Well, some years ago, Greg and Melanie Turp decided they had too much stuff. And to have all that stuff meant they were working too much. Greg had been riding motorcycles most of his life and been inspired by other travelers. So he and Melanie decided to change their lives, to do what mattered to them, to travel and make great memories. That's what they've been doing since. They sold everything. They traveled around America, first with an RV and a motorcycle, then straight to motorcycles. They liked it so much, they just kept going. And they're still going, riding their V-Strom, well, one of their V-Stroms, I guess I should say, in all different parts of the world. As a matter of fact, they literally just got off a plane from their latest adventure when we connected. My name is Melanie Turp. We are from Abbeville, Alabama, and I'm retired and I, I'm Greg Turp, uh, same place, Abbeville, Alabama, and I'm also retired now. Greg and Melanie, welcome back. Well, thank you. It's nice to be back. Thanks. Thanks, Jim. It's good to be back with the old motorcycle tribe. And you're not only back on Adventure Rider Radio, but you're back at home because you've been traveling, unlike most people who have not. Yeah, we just spent about, as um, soon as uh, everything in Europe opened up, we went and rescued our motorcycle from our friend in uh, Lisbon, Portugal, and uh, took off for about almost three months and uh, rode across into Eastern Europe and back into the UK where we attended um, the Overland event. And if our motorcycle is now back in Lisbon again, waiting for us to come back and hopefully hit North Africa next time. Well, you must have been really chomping at the bit to go. I mean, as soon as things opened up, you were gone and, and left before the dust settled. Yeah, that's pretty much so. Yeah, we managed to hit uh, about 10 different countries this trip and found the, uh, the people of Europe um, pretty much receptive to having tourists come back. Um, they kept their distance a little bit because of the covid but uh, they were still f certainly happy to see motorcyclists and tourists back traveling Europe. Mm, that's what I was wondering. I was wondering what your re reception was like. And you could travel everywhere? Yeah, pretty much. We didn't have uh, really any issues. Uh, we, were, we had to bring our uh, vaccination certificates, but uh, really no one looked at it. We had one country, actually probably two countries, but... Uh, Going from Romania to Bulgaria, they wanted to see the certificate. And then getting back and in, getting into the UK was um, a, a lot of hoops to jump through, in, including having that uh, VAC certificate. Yeah, what about testing? Were, were the any borders demanding that you get tested and show that you're, you're COVID free before you enter? Uh, just the UK. Just the UK. Hmm. I, think, yeah. I think Serbia was requiring the test as well, but we didn't go there. We had friends who did. Oh. Uh, so, and how many other motorcyclists did you see while you're on the road? Um, from North America, none. None at all. So we didn't see any from North America. We um, saw quite a few out, you know, local motorcycle riders, not many 
you know, traveling between countries uh, from the UK, which usually when we're out there, you always see motorcyclists from the UK. And uh, this trip, we didn't see many at all. They were all pretty much still stuck at home because of the strict requirements they have getting back into their country after they leave. So they were worried they were going to get out of the country and have to come back to uh, quarantines. What would you say to, to travelers from the U.S. right now that are, that are wanting to go somewhere? Go. Just go. Um, yeah. In Portugal, they're 85% vaccinated. So they're one of the highest countries in the world right now vaccinated. And they're still being very cautious. Um, most of the places, we sort of went with whatever the theme was when we got there. So if they wanted a mask, we wore a mask. And, um, it, you know, we pretty much socially distanced anyway. That's what we usually do anyway. And uh, we camped a lot and um, we found some campgrounds, we found a lot of businesses still closed and um, a lot of campgrounds closed, a lot of restaurants closed, but um, the traveling was really fairly easy. Um, the entire time we were over there, people were, uh, people were nice, kept their distances, but we're noticing, we were noticing when we left that um, even a couple of restaurants were requiring a back certificate even to go inside and eat. So I think mm -hmm. that might be a trend that's going to be starting over the next couple months. So if you're going to try to travel without um, your, your vaccine over there, it's going to be getting more and more difficult. You said your bike is in Libsyn. What are you guys riding? Um, it's a 2003 V-Strom 1000. We call it the yellow donkey. <laughs> Affectionately, I'm sure, because it's still oh, going. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's bright yellow and that thing is just loaded. So it screams every time we got get on it. But uh, it's got about, about probably about 140,000 miles on it now. And it starts every time and takes us where we want to go. You brought that over from the States, right? You shipped it over from the States. I actually know I bought it from a guy that already had it in uh, Germany. So here in the U.S., you can um, actually tag it in the States and register it in the States, get the title transfers done and leave the, the depending on the state. Um, some states don't actually ever have to require to see the motorcycle. So all you do is take your tags over there and buy the green card insurance when you're there and you can just leave the motorcycle there indefinitely. Wow, that's that's very handy. What what bags are you running on your yeah. bike? What what panniers? Right now we have um, uh, Jesse bags, L Jesse's um, bags that he built, and they've been on the bike for quite some time. They're very old, but um, yeah, they're the hard cases. So describe the the L Jesse bag or Jesse luggage. Um, well, they're um, it's a fairly narrow bag. I'm not quite sure how um, the the leaders of it, but uh, it's it's cut on, in on the bottoms and the top. So it uh, it loses a little bit of room in the bottom, making it a little hard to pack and on the top if you're going to try to carry like a, a tent or something on it. And it's got two um, screw down locks on either side that are keyed to keep it secure. Now, Greg, why did you guys choose hard luggage in particular? Uh, well, that luggage sort of chose us on that bike because when we got there, that luggage was already on the bike. And um, when, the way we're traveling, um, we're not doing a whole, whole bunch of off-road. So it just seemed better to have uh, leave it as is for the security. And have you, have you run soft bags before? 
Yeah, uh, I used to run soft bags, and actually, on one of my V stroms over here, I have um, I have L Jesse bag. I've got two more V stroms over here, and uh, one was supposed to be in uh, South America by now, and that has soft luggage on it. But um, and you know, because of COVID, it's still still sitting here and waiting to go. <laughs> So how do you choose when and where to run which luggage or, or do you? Um, sometimes it just sort of depends on how I feel, how much off-road riding we're going to do and the chances of tip overs. So um, in South America, I just feel that we're going to be doing quite a bit more off-road than we would be on like say here or in Europe. So that's sort of why I'm going with the soft luggage for uh, South America. If I was running a smaller bike and doing some uh, more uh, off-road dirt riding here, I'd probably go with soft luggage here also. So, so that's the the deciding factor there. If you if you think there's a chance of the bike going down very much, you want soft luggage. Uh, yeah. I mean, we've had a couple couple tip overs with the um, with the hard panniers, and one was in. Um, in uh, Mexico, I don't know, about five years ago, we came off pavement into some gravel. And under the gravel, there was a, a cement lip, which the front tire hit, and it just flipped us off. And Melanie got her leg caught under the um, the pannier as we, I mean, we were probably doing about 25 miles an hour, I guess, when we probably hit. And it, it twisted her knee pretty good. Luckily, didn't really... Um, um, it didn't break anything and didn't do a ton of damage, but, um, I possibly with the soft luggage that might not have happened because her leg got tangled up underneath the, the hard bags. Melanie, what, what's the difference for you between hard and soft as a pillion? Well, if I'm riding with something behind me, um, then the soft luggage is fine. If I'm riding without a, a a back case or without one of the one of the luggage bags that Greg puts on the back, I like having the support of the hard bags against the back of my calf. It gives me um, gives me more support and more and more confidence of not going back off the back of the bike, mm -hmm. um, which is probably strange. I don't know if anybody else feels that way, but I I use it for leverage, so I have my calves. Up, up against the panniers on, on the foot pegs. Um, so there's, there's times I really like the hard, the hard panniers. It gives me support on the sides, gives me something different to hang on to. Um, but the soft luggage is nice because it, 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 uh, gives you a little more, uh, a leeway if you've like, like Greg said, if you come off the bike or, or, um, have an issue, the soft luggage isn't quite so, so, uh, unforgiving. Mm -hmm. What about other things? Like what about when it comes to packing in particular, you know, if you're packing a computer or anything delicate? Well, of course, water is an issue. Rain is an issue. So anytime you have soft luggage, we always have, make sure we have waterproof bags inside. Um, we, we don't normally take that precaution when we have our hard, our hard cases. So, but security is an issue as well. Um, anything that we don't want stolen gets locked in the panniers and, and um, the soft bags don't give you that, that security. So there's pros and cons to both, depending on where you are and, and how you're traveling. 
Yeah, we're trying to figure out now. We've got a trip to um, Southern Africa planned. It's being delayed a little bit, but it will be going probably in January. And uh, we're going to be do using soft luggage down there. So, you know, we have camera gear, computers, you know, that kind of stuff that's going to go. So I'm trying to figure out what I need to do to keep all that stuff safe. And it might just be a larger tank bag that I can pick up and carry with me. I often wonder whether whether this is almost a perception of us riders that it's it's safer um, in the in the hard panniers because I mean it obviously is to some degree but if somebody really wants to get in there they're not that difficult to to get into I mean if if you drop a bike I know your Jesse panniers are, are pretty robust but on, on some of the lighter weight aluminum ones if if you drop the bike you can have the lid pop off because it deforms and the latches come undone so um, yeah. I'm wondering, like I, I always say this, and I've said it before for for this uh, piece that we're doing right now, is it sort of keeps the honest thief out. Somebody who's uh, it's um, who's easily deterred, but somebody who's really determined to get in there. In other words, I guess the, the, what I would put to you is, is if you guys stop for a hike somewhere, and, you, and maybe it's a, an area of concern for you, are you 100% comfortable locking stuff up in your panniers and walking away? I mean, aside from the fact you may just say, well, that's the risk you got to take, but, but are you confident that that's going to be safe? No. 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 So um, that's one of the down downfalls from really motorcycle travel for me is that um, I don't feel 100% secure leaving expensive gear inside of uh, on the bike at all. So to take a long hike where we will we would usually park the bike someplace secure, um, probably get a hotel room and uh, leave the stuff locked up inside when we go and do it without our without the bags on. Uh, like okay. at, at border crossings and that kind of thing, one of us will go in and, and usually, usually me um, stays with the bike. So we don't usually leave it very long without one of us being, being close to the bike. So, so although it gives you some security, you're, you're not trusting, you're not counting on, it's not an insurance policy for you. No, definitely not. I mean, I've got one of the locks on the, on the bag doesn't even, on the hard bags doesn't even lock. And, you know, I talked to him and I could get it replaced, but. Yeah, um, I, I, I just don't really trust them a hundred percent. So if we camp, um, the bike's usually right beside me covered up. Um, the only time we would probably leave it would be at like a tourist attraction and say we went into, I don't know, tour castle or some caves or something. We would leave it outside covered where there's people around. So somebody's not gonna, it'd be a little obvious someone underneath that thing with a crowbar trying to get into the side case. <laughs> you just count on, the, on it being in a public place. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that you're saying that you're going to Africa and you're, you're running soft luggage because I, I would think that if, if somebody was, you know, sort of throwing out general advice, they'd say, well, you know, if you're going to Africa and I'm not, I'm not dissing Africa at all, but that would be maybe a, a place where you'd be more concerned about having hard panniers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind having hard panniers there. But uh, some of the places that we're going to go, I mean, we're not big off-road people. So, I mean, we're two up and loaded on a, on a you know, a big bike. So, um, we tend to shy away from that kind of stuff. I mean, maybe if I was 20 years younger, I'd be a little more aggressive about it. But I don't like getting hurt anymore. <laughs> so, we, we don't do anything super tough. But the bike that we're getting down there... Um, it's going to need soft bags. It doesn't have uh, hard panniers on it. So then again, that sort of made the choice for us. We have some friends that are loaning us a bike for a little bit. 
So you're not dyed in the wool of anything, hard, soft. You're, you're not super concerned. No, not really. I sort of, whatever, whatever we feel like we need for the, at the time, really, I'm not one or the other hardcore. No. Any other comments that either one of you have about hard or soft luggage? Do you have anything? No, I, you know, I just think, you know, most people put too much emphasis on all that kind of stuff. It's sort of like pick up whatever motorcycle you have, you know, whatever gear that you have and bags that you have and throw it over the bike and um, take precautions and just go instead of trying to over plan it. You know, most people are pretty good out there. We've never had any issues of anything ever being stolen off the bike. And um, I mean, half the time I forget and leave my keys in the ignition and maybe, you know, I've got good karma following me around, but um, it, I, I've, I haven't had any issues at all. And that's probably 11 years of travel 62 different countries. Melanie, as, as far as Pillion, any comment on that? Um, I would say that I, I guess I do prefer the hard luggage because I like having um, the little extra space next to me on the back. This last trip, Greg, uh, Greg had quite a few things piled on the side of, of uh, the panniers next to me. And that just gives me a little more support. Um, you can't do that with soft luggage. So if I had my druthers, I'd rather have the hard, the hard cases. Melanie, Greg, thank you very much for, for taking the time and, and sitting down to talk about this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you for having us. Not a problem. It was good to talk to you, Jim. I was speaking with Greg and Melanie Chirp while they visited their home in the U.S. They've got a blog that they use to keep their friends and family up to date on their adventures, and it's a great read. The website is twowanderers.com. That's the number two in front, two R's at the end. And of course, those links, like all the other links, will be in our show notes for this episode on our website at adventureriderradio.com. Overland Expo is about to do its last show of the year. It's uh, October 8th to 10th at Oak Ridge Estates in Arrington, Virginia. Uh, get your tickets on the website, overlandexpo.com. It's been an incredible year for Overland Expo. From what I've been told, the turnout has been amazing, as have the shows themselves. And no wonder, because they pack so much into every Overland Expo that they put on. Too much, really. You couldn't get bored if you tried. They've got tons of vendors that will help get your bike set up for your next adventure, whether it's a weekend or whether it's multi-weeks or, or years. They've got presentations, um, slideshows, all kinds of things happening. I mean, it's really endless. There, there's skills areas where you can learn new skills on your motorcycle, actually ride your bike, hone new skills, uh, or hone your old skills, rather, but anyway, you got to get your tickets online. Go to overlandexpo.com. Sign up for the newsletter. If you can't make it this year, sign up for the newsletter and get next year's dates right away as soon as they come out. And that way you can be sure to get a ticket because these th events are in high demand right now. Again, overlandexpo.com. And anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Sean Thomas is a BMW ambassador and a certified rider trainer. We've had him on the show before. Commonly spotted at motorcycle shows and gatherings. He's been involved with the GS Trophy. And this summer, he's been touring around the U.S. So I'm Sean Thomas. I live in Monterey Bay, California. And I am the brand ambassador for BMW Motorrad Worldwide. 
specializing in the GS, although I do work with the other stuff as well. We've been talking about this hard versus soft panniers. Now it's not versus yeah. because to me, that's kind of like saying which tire is the best, this tire or that tire. You know, <laughs> that's it, a subject in of itself, isn't it? it? Really? And, and, and there's so much personality goes into that, so much personal preference. What kind of panniers have you tried? Have you tried both soft and hard? Yeah. And in fact, I own both. Um, I, I've tried them from many, many different manufacturers and I, and I own both. And on this tour that I'm doing, I have both and I use different ones depending on what I'm going to do because they both have their place. And, and, you know, both either one would be fine, whether it was soft or hard for what I'm doing, but there's times when one really works well over the other. And I just sort of choose based on what I want to do. Okay. So you've never been sort of pro one and didn't want to bother with the other. <laughs> well, I think just like you would say with tires and with oil, you know, there, there was a stage in my career where I had a really strong opinion about bags and, uh, and I would tell everybody you want these versus those. And, and the reality is, is now I've been around long enough to, to really see the benefit of both. And, and I tell people like, well, you know, it really just depends on what you want to do. And, you know, you're going to have to deal with the pros and cons regardless. There's no perfect solution for most people. You just said there about having an, an opinion, a strong opinion about something earlier on in your career. Do you find that as you spend more time in this industry that you don't have as many strong opinions about things? I think that I, I just realized the source of my strong opinions. You know, with when it came to riding gear, for example, um, even before I worked with BMW, I was always a diehard BMW gear fan. And that's just what I wore. And when I look back on it, I realized that the reason that I have been so loyal to that product is because when I've really had to use it, it's always done me right. You know, I've always walked away from crashes and I've had many, many crashes and I've always been wearing BMW gear. So I've come to learn that that gear will protect me. And, and I've also come to learn that there's plenty of manufacturers that make gear that's just as good. That doesn't mean that it's, you know, that I'm wearing the best. It just means that I'm loyal to it. And, uh, it, when I, when I put it in that context then I'm able to tell myself like, okay, you know, it, it's, it's less about one gear being, you know, heads and shoulders better than the other. Uh, and it's more about just that I've developed a loyalty to that product. And that's, that's where I stay. I really like that. Cause that makes a lot of sense for the way we're approaching this with hard and soft. These are tools and, and what's right for one person is not right for the next. Well, it's one of the reasons that I always say that it's a mistake to look online when you buy a new bike and see what all the mods are that people do and then go out and slam all those mods on. Aside from the fact you shouldn't do them all at once anyway. <laughs> just the idea of modifying your bike to someone else's specs, you know, like asking somebody, what's the best tire? Well, they're, they're only going to tell you what their opinion is the best tire. In other words, what the best tire, same thing you're saying, the best tire for them and the, and the conditions they ride and the way they ride, the weight they ride with, the bike they have, et cetera. So, yeah. Well, let's look at some of those questions that you would think of that would pop into your head if somebody comes to you and says, Sean, what should I get? Should I get the aluminum panniers or should I get some bags? What, what kind of things are you going to ask them? So, um, you know, I'm, I like to get people to tell me a story, you know, wh where do you plan to go? And usually somebody that is thinking about that has already got a trip in their mind. Um, and then once they've told me that story, I'll ask them like, okay, so now tell me about your day-to-day -day use. You know, where are you going to go with this? Where's it going to be parked? You know, and that helps me to shape what my opinion is. And, and one of the things that I'm asking myself about is what level of security does this person need? And um, hard cases have, a, a, for me, a definite advantage there. Because if I'm parking in an urban area where I, I need to worry about having things on my bike that aren't going to get pinched, then um, hard cases, you know, something that I can easily lock. It, it's a nice advantage. And, and there are soft cases that offer that some uh, security advantage. But generally speaking, I find that they're not 
as secure as hard bags. So that might be one reason that I would choose one over the other, but it depends on their story. Have you heard of that or have you had experience with that yourself, having something stolen because it was in a soft bag? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, what I found with like some of the, most of the soft cases I use, they're, they're kind of from somebody that doesn't um, use them regularly. They're a bit of an enigma to get into, you know, that the combination of what you have to unclip and what you have to unroll in order to get inside of them is enough to where I find that somebody that's casually glancing at the bike is, is going to have a tough time figuring out how to open them or get them off the bike. But a lot of bags are just, you know, there's a zipper there. And, uh, you know, we've certainly heard the story and I've personally experienced, you know, where I come back and the zipper has been open and something's been yanked out. It's usually my toolkit. Mm. And, uh, you know, in that instance, I'm kicking myself for either not taking it off the bike or not putting them in a hard case. So if you were to just do a, a quick pros and cons, could you do that for, for, for soft and hard in the way sure. you see it? Yeah. You know, for hard cases, you know, my main priority is the, as I mentioned before, is the sacrificial armor element of it. You know, uh, side cases will generally maintain their rigidity so that if I tip the bike over, it creates a sort of safe space for me and especially for my passenger if I if I drop the bike. So, and that does happen. So I really like having them on for that reason. I've, I found that I take, you know, if I take a really good hard fall, the bag will generally be the first thing that takes on the, the brunt of the impact and it creates a cavity, cavity for the legs of Haley or Drew if they're on the back. So, I know that they'll generally have that level of safety. Now, if you're not riding with a passenger, of course, they do offer that level of protection for you as well. Um, typically, a good bag is is waterproof, but they usually are only waterproof until your first good fall. <laughs> and then that's what I was going to say. It's almost sort of, sacrificial protection in a way. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the bag will turn into a parallelogram and you have to knock it back into whack. And I have found that once the bag has taken a shot, it's very difficult to make it waterproof again. So generally once I've fallen on the bike in my mind, my mind, I'm saying, okay, well, from now on, I'm going to have to put waterproof bags inside this bag because they're, if I fall again, they're probably going to have a leak somewhere you know, or if it rains again. Yeah. And maybe drill um, a couple of drain holes at that point. Yeah, exactly. And, and so once you've taken the, the, um, take, take the armor element into it, the next big advantage to, to hard bags is the security. element. Typically the bags are lockable and, and you can, uh, park it in an, in an area where you might be a little bit worried about people messing with your stuff and they can't get into the bags. And I tend to, when I'm riding off the bike, I travel with a lot of expensive equipment that I'm worried about um, having somebody decide they have to own more than I do. And, and as I've told you before, I've had issues in the past where I've had things stolen and it was, it's a, it's a tough situation to be in. And as long as I've had hard bags, I've never had that issue. Um, but that may just be that people are generally pretty good and they don't tend to mess with your stuff. Um, the, the other thing with bags I find is they either look good or they work good. It's kind of hard to have a bag that does pull up for hard cases. Uh, they, you know, the, um, of course, TourTech makes bags um, like they make the Zega, um, which is, which is a great bag. And, and BMW, of course, you know, in my case, which is made by TourTech is a really good bag, but they're, you know, they're designed to, um, to hold a lot of product and be very convenient to get in and out of, but they're also the most likely to get crumpled up and, and um, take a real beating and be hard to close after a fall you know, where the, the other end of that spectrum is, is uh, hard cases like um, Jesse Luggage and, and uh, Happy Trails, you know, are good examples of, of really robust bags. But, but they, to me, they look kind of like pizza boxes on the bike. You know, they're, they're, I don't consider them to be the prettiest bags that, you know, they kind of fit the motif of the rugged adventure rider. And a lot of people love them. And I loved mine. I mean, man, those things would take a beating. 
but on the other hand, I thought that the, the OEM bags just looked a lot cleaner and flashier on the bike, you know, so that, that decision-making process includes that as well. You know, how good do they look? What does the mounting hardware look like on the bike? How much are you having to modify the back of the bike to strap them on? And, and, uh, and then if the bag doesn't conform to the um, side of the, you know, the fact that you've got a exhaust on one side of the bike, you know, you're either going to have a smaller bag back there, or you're going to have this bag that sticks way out and makes the bike exceptionally wide. And, and it makes it very difficult to get through tight fits and, uh, you know, all of those variables. And then the, you know, the other big downside to hard bags is that unless you have things really packed inside there, you basically have a giant washing machine. Everything gets tumbled about. And if it has any chance of getting broken in there, you know, as it's getting rattled and rumbled on the, on the uh, bumpy roads, it just, you know, you open it up and it's just, everything's a big jumbled mess and it's broken open. And if you've got any liquids in there, it's come open. It's, you know, it's a big giant mess. And and that is definitely a downside. And, and I'm just too lazy to really get in there and pack things tight enough to keep it from that from happening. So it pretty much happens every time. Um, Now, you know, taking the switch over to soft bags, uh, they're really great because you can conform things down. You know, the bag really kind of sort of ex- often will expand and contract to the size of the equipment you're putting into it. So you can keep things in there snug fitting and sort of roll the bag down tight, which is great. But if you drop the bike, you have to be much more mindful of where you're putting your fragile stuff because there is an impact zone and the bag is not going to protect from that impact zone. And if you've got something fragile that you're going to hit down there, you have to worry about that taking a real beating inside the bag and busting it up. Um, you know, another big issue with soft bags, and there are exceptions, is how they strap to the bike. Generally, soft bags are designed to go on multiple machines. You know, you can get one bag that'll fit on a lot of different models. But in order to achieve that, they have to have a lot of really long straps that can attach the bag in a lot of different places, um, depending on the model of bike. And you end up with bags that I find are really difficult to keep secure on the bike. And um, you have to worry about the straps being too long and make sure you bundle them up properly so they're not getting hung up in parts of the bike that they're not supposed to touch. And, and uh, so I generally have found that it's it's difficult with a lot of soft bags to really get them snug on the bike without rubbing the paint and without having things that are dangling and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, I'm always dancing around that. Um, and, you know, the other major thing about bags too is, is how they get hung up on you. And, you know, one of the areas that we learned the hard way in teaching is when we're running people through sand and you're in a situation where the bike starts to lose balance. And especially if you're not skilled enough yet to know how to keep that bike upright without using your feet. The first thing a person will do when the bike loses balance is they throw their foot down to try to catch the bike. And that that is very effective. But because of forward momentum, you throw your foot down and the forward momentum will kick your foot back and slam it into the bag. And we've seen people break their feet um, or bones in their leg as a consequence of hitting that really hard bag. And, uh, you know, it's usually a combination of poor technique and not wearing the right boot and having a bag with a big sharp edge on it. And those three things come together to cause a real injury Mm -hmm. where soft bags, that's less likely I have generally taught myself to, when I do throw my foot down, to throw it down really wide so that when it gets kicked back, it goes around the outside of the bag that even I forget sometimes. And man, you feel it when it happens. And that's just not an issue you run into as much with soft bags. Right. Any other considerations that you can think of? Yeah. uh, I think that, um, 
you know, another great thing about soft bags is, is what I also mentioned sort of as a detriment, but I, but I think it's a really good thing is the ability to take the bags off and move them around bikes. You know, a lot of us have multiple riding platforms now, and it's really nice to be able to pop the soft bags off and, and cinch them down to a different bike and off you go really easily. And, I, and typically for me, when I travel, um, oftentimes I get on a plane and I land and, and I'm given a bike and, and I have no idea what I'm going to be riding. And, but I have a, some essential equipment that I absolutely have to carry every time I climb on a bike and I'll carry a soft bag with me because I know that no matter what I'm handed, I'll be able to strap my bag onto that platform and get on it and go where of course with a hard bag, it's going to be, you know, molded to the machine and to the model that I'm used to riding. And I can't really do that. So I tend to really like soft bags for that reason. I will also say too, that having a combination of the two is really effective. You know, it's often I'll, I'll run hard bags on the side. So I have that armor for my daughter on the back, but I'll have a soft bag on the top so I can carry, you know, big cumbersome things like my tent and all the sleeping gear and all that on the top. Well, Sean, that, that was great. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks very much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. That was Sean Thomas from the road while making his way back home after a very busy summer. By now, Sean should be home. His website is stromoto.com. And of course, you'll find him on social media as well. He's, he's one of those people that is well worth following on social media. Have a look. You, you'll know what I mean as soon as you come across him. The link for his website will be in the show notes, as always, on our website, adventureriderradio.com. Harold Cecil is the owner of Giant Loop, and he just got back from an off-grid trip in Alaska. Yeah, my name's Harold Cecil. I'm from Bend, Oregon, and I'm the owner of Giant Loop. Harold, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Great to be here with you this morning. You just got back from a trip. Can you talk about that? Oh, man, yeah. This this was an amazing trip. Um, I did a similar trip five years ago with the same crew, my brother-in-law and two longtime friends. We spent 12 days floating through the wilderness on rafts in Alaska. Uh, We got dropped off at the headwaters of a river um, with float planes. They landed on a lake and dropped us off with our gear. And uh, we spent the next 12 days floating and camping uh, through the wilds uh, on this this river and just fishing nonstop. And uh, you know, kind of, kind of fishing eight hours a day and, uh, you know, uh, setting up camp and, and, uh, you know, tearing, tearing down the morning, repacking, doing it all over again. And, wow, uh, it's really an nice. amazing experience. Yeah. Wow. We, that, that sounds really yeah. neat. I'm not going to ask you about the fishing cause I, I don't want to hear the fishing stories and we, we hear these stories, <laughs> right? You're, you're going to tell me you caught lots of amazing fish and everything and there's no verification for it unless you, maybe you took photos. I don't know. <laughs> oh, we definitely, uh, we took a fish photo or two for sure. Yeah. But, uh, and I know about those fish photos too. And I never did before because we had a guide when we were in tourism and uh, he explained it to me about these, these big fish photos. You put the fish out front, you use a nice wide angle lens, get up close to the fish, the person's in the background and you have a massive fish photo. Yeah. We didn't really have to fake it in Alaska. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Hey, we're talking about, um, we're talking about, of course, um, soft luggage and hard luggage, obviously your soft luggage. Have you ever run hard luggage? Uh, I 
have ridden a few miles with, with, with you know, bikes with, with uh, hard luggage on them. I, I've never really owned a set of hard luggage myself, except, uh, you know, I, I bought a set of boxes a few years back to experiment with a little bit. But, you know, honestly, I, uh, I started first exploring on two wheels on a bicycle as a teenager. And I, I really enjoyed uh, bicycle touring. And I had little panniers for my bicycle and stuff. And it was kind of my ticket to freedom as a teenager. I could be gone for a whole day or sometimes even overnight all by myself. And, you know, that, right. was, that was an amazing thing as a teenager. And so I, I uh, on motorcycles, I, I just never really understood the need for the desire to put, you know, big heavy metal racks and metal boxes on this, you know, lightweight, nimble vehicle. So I never personally have, uh, used them much. And I, um, you know, I, I've come to appreciate that they're, that they have a, a place for sure. And, you know, there's no one solution for everybody. Everybody needs to find what works for them. Um, so in, in more of a road oriented environment for daily commuting and, and so on there, the, you know, hard luggage is super convenient. You flip a lid open and you've got a big box and you throw stuff into it. And, you know, so I, I do appreciate the, you know, how it sort of fits into the, the scheme of things, but it just was never, it never really fit with my particular style of riding and how I wanted to approach riding, whether I was on the, the road or off the road. So, yeah, that's, that brings up an interesting thought here. I don't think I've ever seen hard luggage on a bicycle. I mean, I, I don't, well, right, I, does, yeah. does anyone make it? You know, that, that's, uh, I, as far as I know, no, um, you know, and I, I think that probably for all the same reasons that, you know, we prefer soft luggage on the motorcycle, you know, you don't really see, uh, that, you know, approach to carrying gear on a, on a bicycle because it just, it really adds extra weight. And whether you're pulling that weight around with your two legs or with the, you know, the motorcycle, the power of the motorcycle, you know, it's just, it's frankly, it's just dead weight, you know? So when we first started um, wanting to ride out here in the Eastern Oregon desert and explore around, we'd often see, you know, our friends with hard luggage, the, the, you know, they drop the bike a time or two and pretty soon the mounts were breaking, the racks were bending, the, the, you know, the lids would get distorted and wouldn't close and seal properly. So, you know, we, you know, really early on said, gee, you know, this, there's gotta be a better way to carry gear than this. And, uh, even when I had a road bike, um, I had little throw over soft panniers because I didn't want, uh, I didn't want them on the bike all the time. I only wanted it when I was on the bike, when I was traveling and I didn't see the point in adding, you know, heavy racks or anything else to my little, a little street bike, you know, I wanted it to be sporty. So, um, yeah, I don't think you see them in bicycling and I, I, uh, we've always felt that they have, uh, you know, a number of advantages, you know, including the, just the weight factor. So if somebody comes to you and, and says, you know, I, I want to get bags for my bike, how do you walk them through and figure out exactly what they should be buying for themselves? Well, it usually starts with, with bike type. For example, like a big twin cylinder adventure bike is is different sort of platform than, uh, say, like a small street legal dirt bike, essentially. So so that's, you know, bike type would be kind of one of the considerations. And then racks or no racks would be another uh, consideration. So and, and we, you know, that was one of the reasons that um, one of my early design directors and collaborators, uh, a really talented guy named Brian Frankel, 
um, he was the one who kind of pushed us to um, start developing rack mounted solutions because, uh, you know, a lot of bikes come with racks or people, they like to be able to switch back and forth with their luggage sets. So when they're commuting every day or whatever, they like the convenience of the hard luggage. But when they're heading out to ride a, like a backcountry discovery route or something like that, then they, uh, they're happy to switch to the more forgiving, uh, lighter, you know, soft panniers. So, uh, that, that got us, uh, headed down that, that path. Uh, do you want to say something like six years ago or something like that? So when trying to sort out somebody, you know, if they're trying to figure out what kind of bag they should get for the bike, I'm thinking, I guess, really, you're looking at what, two designs, I guess. You're either looking at the horseshoe. I mean, as far as your lineup goes, you're looking at the, either the horseshoe or side panniers, correct? I mean, we're talking rear luggage. Well, yes. And, the, you know, and then we also offer some uh, nice, uh, fully waterproof dry bags and so on. Um, right. But OK, so as far as the, the rear bags, though, so how do you how, how do you sort of show somebody which would be better for them between the horseshoe bag or the side bags? Like what's the delineation point? You know, is it, is it, if you, if you're running racks or if you're planning on riding the world or, or how do you, how do you sort of approach that? Well, yeah, for sure. Uh, in, in fact, we, to try and kind of make this easy on our customers on, on our website, we created what we call kits and they're kind of organized by, by bike type and riding type. And, um, so we have, uh, uh, I believe it's four kits that, that kind of suggest to riders what we consider to be kind of a foundation of, uh, of a packing system. And that, that's really the way that we look at our product line is as a, as a packing system with modular customizable pieces that can be added or subtracted according to, again, my bike type and, and what kind of riding uh, you'd like to do. So uh, we have a... a kit that we call the day tripper that's really for like dual sport and enduro type bikes and and like a day of riding so enough room to carry some tools and tubes and uh you know some snacks and water and maybe an extra layer of clothes and then uh, we have what we call the overnight plus kit which uh, again is kind of oriented toward a single cylinder like dual sport bike but now you're wanting to carry camping gear for uh, an overnight or, or multiple day uh, adventure. And then from there, we kind of bump up to, uh, what, what we call the, um, our go light touring kit, which is, uh, you know, can work on a larger kind of thumper or a twin cylinder adventure bike that has pasture pegs. And, uh, and then the, the, the kit that, that we call the globe trotting travel kit is, is the largest capacity, um, really targeted at a twin cylinder adventure bike doing a multi-day, multi-month, multi-year kind of, kind of trip. So, uh, that, that's a basic, uh, you know, overview of how, how we kind of approach the, our packing recommendations for people. Okay. I like the kit thing that that's good. So if, if, um, I know you're biased, obviously, because we, we've already, you're, you're giant loop, you make soft luggage, but, but still, what's your thoughts on people trying to decide between hard and soft luggage? What sort of, um, what sort of information could you give there that might help somebody at least understand the difference, maybe decide? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I, I think the advantages of hard luggage are that it, it, it's very convenient and easy. Um, to just open a lid and, and begin, you know, packing a, a rigid container 
And um, people also really, they, they like at least the perceived notion of security that a lockable, you know, hard pannier gives them. Although, honestly, the, a professional thief is going to take the whole bike and all, and it's going to be gone before you know it. And so that, that's more of a perceived thing than, than a, a, I think, than a, you know, a real security, you know, difference. But, uh, you know, so the, I, I, we kind of think that, you know, that the, the place that hard luggage occupies is really more for more street oriented. And, and, you know, I guess we'd call it kind of lighter duty off-road, um, you know, whereas we, we've always kind of wanted to clip along at a pretty good pace, uh, you know, when we, when we get off-road. And so, especially when you get off-road, like to me, that's where the benefits of the soft luggage really shine. Um, uh, you know, and that, uh, you're, you're instantly reducing a bunch of weight. So, uh, really early on, we bought like a KTM 950 adventure and that, that bike came with these, uh, Gobi boxes. And when we pulled the luggage rack and boxes off that bike, um, it was 37 pounds empty. Oh, wow. you know, so before, before you've, you've even packed a clean pair of socks, for your trip, that's just, sorry, that's just the rack and the, the boxes. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's actually not really un, uncommon. Like most, uh, hard luggage kits are going to be in that like 30 plus pound range empty, mm-hmm. you know, whereas like even our most heavy bags are, you know, maybe 10 pounds or something like that. So you're immediately shedding, you know, I, I sometimes say it's like, okay, you, you put a, you put a 40 pound sack of dog food on the back of your bike, you know, before you've even started packing, yeah. you know? And, and so the, I think it's hard to overstate the impact that, that weight has on how a bike handles and performs, you know, especially as you, as you take it off road and you need it to perform at its maximum uh, abilities in terms of uh, agility, maneuverability, uh, you know, negotiating rougher terrain and so on. So, uh, so, you know, to me, like that, that's one of the most obvious and immediate advantages is a, is a weight reduction and weight savings, you know? So, uh, you know, you could effectively carry 30 pounds more gear, you know, and and still be at the same weight. And, um, the other advantages are that we go out of our way to make our bags incredibly tough and we double reinforce things with ballistic nylon and, and, you know, take every measure possible so that those, those bags, you know, it's almost inevitable that when you start adventuring off-road that the bike is going to get dropped once in a while. And so, um, the soft luggage is far more forgiving when, when you drop the bike, um, you know, instead of being a rigid object that just, uh, absorbs that energy and transfers it to the weakest point in the system, which would be, you know, bending the box or breaking the mounts or bending, you know, the frame or subframe, you know, luggage racks or subframe. So instead the, you know, soft luggage absorbs a lot of that energy and, uh, doesn't transfer it into the bike or uh, other components in the same way. And, uh, because these, these super tough materials that we're making, like you can literally just kind of pick the bike up, dust yourself off and, and keep riding. Um, and do that all day long. And, uh, so, you know, for us, that, that's another massive advantage, uh, just being able to, to go ride and, and not have your focus 
become like, gee, how do I manage my gear as I'm trying to struggle through this, you know, sandy section or, or something like yeah. that, you know, like instead you can just focus on and enjoy the riding because the gear is just there and it's, it's out of the way and it's not, uh, you know, in a container that's going to break or fail, uh, in the same way that, that hard luggage might, um, when the bike is dropped, uh, and then, you know, our, our, our luggage isn't indestructible, you know, nothing is human beings aren't motorcycles aren't, um, neither is our luggage. However, it's super tough. It's tougher than human beings typically <laughs> in terms of hitting the ground. And, and we also try to approach it from, uh, you know, a, a perspective of field, uh, repairability. So, you know, if something does fail in, uh, in the field, uh, let's say, a you know, a strap rips out because you, you crash really hard and a rock caught a hold of it. Well, you know, better that that strap failed than the entire container ripped open. And, you know, and it's pretty easy to come up with like a temporary fix, you know, you know to get you back on the trail again, with, you know, within a few minutes. So I, I would say that that's another uh, another one of the advantages that we see in soft luggage. Yeah, that's important. And the difference between repairing soft luggage, for instance, over hard luggage. But the other thing I was going to say that you, you didn't mention is, is the width thing. That's what I always think of as well is, is the width. Mm. I'm not always stuck with the width of the hard bag if it's empty or if there's very little in it. So it, it sort of squishes down, right? True. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, it's nice to not really be any wider than your handlebars uh, mm -hmm. when you're riding in tight, tight places. Um, you know, another interesting thing about that, that width factor is that we've had, we've had customers who have literally measured the difference in, um, the fuel economy that they get on their motorcycle when they have, uh, have had hard luggage on the bike versus soft luggage. And because of the narrower trimmer wind profile of the soft luggage, they actually get better fuel economy. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Not to mention the handling. For sure. And then the other thing too, is that, uh, you know, as the weight moves away from the center of the motorcycle, it has increasing impact on how the motorcycle handles. And so in a three dimensional space, that means that, you know, the, if it gets too far, you know, fore and aft, if, it, if it's too far back, for example, like you're, you've got a big pile of weight on the back, it begins to lighten the front of the bike and the bike begins to be scary, you know, mm -hmm. with that front wheel, not firmly planted on the ground. And, you know, or if you have things tacked too tall and it, you know, it becomes top heavy, it's, it's easier to drop, harder to pick up. So, you know, that's always been one of our objectives is to get the, the mass as close to the center of the bike as possible. Like the engineers of the motorcycles themselves spend, you know, hours and hours and hours puzzling over how to best centralize the mass of the motorcycle. And so we, you know, we want to approach uh, packing from that same perspective. So yeah, racks tend to, you know, sort of push the, the bike away from the, the center line uh, of the motorcycle. And, you know, it's kind of like that weight is now swinging through a longer arc, if you want to think about it as the bike is turning, right? Mm -hmm. So it begins to slow you down. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a tightrope walker holding the big long pole, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah, they, they don't want to move from side to side and that's why they do it. You know, uh, it's like putting outriggers on, on a boat or something. It's something more for you to fight as you try and move your bike side to side, especially in off-road situations. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Even if it's the same weight that you're carrying, 
in your, your panniers, be it soft or hard, the further you put them out, yeah, the, the more of a, a stabilization effect, I guess, or that, you, that you're going to have on that and the more difficulty you're going to have in getting the motorcycle to react as you want right. it to off-road. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Hey, hey Harold, b- before I let you go here, do you have any tips for packing soft luggage? Oh, so I, I just spent that, uh, you know, a couple of weeks living out, out of giant loop dry bags, uh, you right. know, on that rafting trip in the wilderness in Alaska. And I thought about packing a lot on that trip. And, you know, so, um, one of the things that we like to do is pack the, the heaviest things, uh, as close to the center of the bike as possible. So in the front low, lowest corner of the, the panniers, for example, is where we like to put our heaviest items and then the lighter bulkier things can go up higher and across the back of the bike and, and so on. So t- typically like uh, tents, sleeping bags, things like that aren't particularly um, heavy. They are bulky though. And so uh, often our camping gear will go up higher on the bike and then things like tools or, uh, you know, spare parts, uh, cooking kit, certainly water and fuel, uh, those things we want to keep as low and close to the center of the bike as possible. I also really like having things organized in smaller containers. And so this is one of the reasons that we include like a set of three inner liner waterproof bags with the, with our horseshoe shaped saddlebags, uh, so that you can organize your gear inside the larger compartment of the saddlebag. And, uh, you can pull one section of it out, uh, without having to unpack other things. It makes it really nice when you get to your destination at the end of the day and you can just grab a one piece of luggage and that's your whole camp kit. And you, you know, carry that over to your campsite um, yeah, th- those are definitely some of the things I'm, I'm thinking about uh, when I'm packing. Well, Harold, that's great. Thank you very much. I, re- I really appreciate your time. Well, it's been uh, nice talking to you, Jim. I- I'm hoping the border's going to open up again here soon and we'll be able to, you know, see each other in, in person once in a while. Yeah, so hopefully things get back to normal real soon. Yeah, looking forward to it. I was speaking with Harold Cecil from the Giant Loop headquarters in Bend, Oregon. Their website is giantloopmoto.com. So we often talk about having to choose between hard and soft panniers, but there is another solution, kind of an opt-out solution for those that eh, maybe want to march to their own beat, I guess. Really, it's just a a super versatile system that adapts to anything. It's through Green Chili Adventure Gear. And I managed to get Adam Owens from Green Chili sort of between his rides. This is Adam Owens. I'm from South Carolina, and I'm one of the partners with Green Chili Adventure Gear. Adam, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the show again. Now, you've you've just returned from a little stint at Overland Expo. Did you go to one or more? Uh, We went to Overland Mountain West in Colorado. And afterwards, we met up with a few guys from out there, and they showed us around, took us over some passes. And after that, we went down to Fruta and did a little desert ride. Really? So you did more vacation than working? (laughs) 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 We'll say it was 51% work. 
Right. Well, well the th- I guess the thing is, if you're out riding with people as well, that's part of R and D. I mean, it's everything, isn't it? Really. Yeah the the networking that's available, like in the motorcycle industry in general, is pretty amazing. Um, the guys we were riding with, we met Scott at the BMW MOA show in Montana. And while talking, he said he was from Colorado. And we were like, hey, we're going to be in Colorado soon. So he offered to show us around. And he got a couple of buddies, uh, John and Chris, that went with us as well. And, I, I mean, where else can you do that? Where can you meet somebody in Montana? Yeah. And then a few weeks later, meet them in Colorado. And they take a few days off work just to take you riding and show you around where they live. Yeah, it's that's pretty, pretty cool. awesome. It's pretty cool for sure. That that's really neat. So you had good, you you found some neat places that you haven't seen before in Colorado. Oh yeah, well that was really a few years ago. We went out and we tried to ride in Silverton when we went to Overland Expo West for Flagstaff, um, but the snow was still there. So we we did get to ride a little bit. We got to ride through an avalanche that had been cut out. Oh wow. Um, but everything was so snowed in, you couldn't go far outside of Silverton. So this time was really the first time I've gotten to ride Colorado. Right. Sil- Silverton's kind of on the on the edge. Like you've got all kinds of obviously high mountain passes, which is why you couldn't ride there. But uh, on the other side, isn't Silverton sort of open at that point? Um, or is it deep in the mountains? I can't remember. It's been years. Yeah, since Silver- been Silverton is like surrounded by mountains. Oh, it's surrounded. It's oh, okay. down, yeah, it's down in a valley and has mountains on all sides. Oh, so if you're not going high, you're not going anywhere. Right. Yeah. Uh, we were, we were wanting to try to ride the, I think it was the Alpine loop we were hoping to hit, but there was way too much snow left. And then we hit it right in between seasons. So the guys renting snow machines had, they were already taking those offline to do maintenance, but it was too early to, to rent like the UTVs because of all the snow. Uh, so it was right. perfect timing. <laughs> uh, well, so you got some good riding in this time though. That's great. Yeah. When it comes to motorcycle panniers, there is another option other than hard or soft luggage. And that's using, well, kind of whatever you've got. And that's where green chili comes in. What does green chili have for this? So what our approach was, we separated the attachment system from the bag. So then any bag you have can become motorcycle luggage. And that really was because I'm cheap and I'm a scuba (laughs) diver. (laughs) So... I had a closet full of dry bags, but I didn't have a way to put that bag on my bike. Um, and then you look at buying, you know, a quote unquote motorcycle dry bag and they're, you know, $400. And the only difference between that and the bag I had in my closet was the straps that were on it. And so that's kind of how our business was born. We, we separated those straps from the bag. And now I can use just a generic dry bag as motorcycle luggage. And, you know, when you do a system that way, it becomes modular. So now instead of needing a $400 motorcycle bag for camping and another $400 motorcycle bag for a day ride, I have one system and I can set it up. You know, I could do an expedition with my system or I can just go ride local trails. And uh, that flexibility is, I think that's where a lot of our value comes in when, you know, when people are trying to choose between luggage. Yeah, there's, there's pros and cons to everything. Um, some of the quote unquote motorcycle bags, they might be easier to attach on occasion. Um, ours does have a little bit of a learning curve to it, but it's pretty quick. And honestly, it's kind of fun. It's kind of like Legos for grown people. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing is you don't have to use just dry bags either. You you can use anything. I've strapped all kinds of things onto the bike using your straps. 
I mean, it's kind of endless, really, the possibilities. Yeah. I've even had customers sent me pictures hauling a small transmission for a car on the back of their bikes. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's extreme, but it's just an example of what's possible. <laughs> yeah. Or a propane tank or, or something like that yeah. on the back of the bike. Not something you really want to ride with, but I mean, certainly doable. So what is the system? Like, what does it look like? Um, there's, so the base of it, and not all bikes need this, actually. It kind of depends on if you have readily available attachment points, which a lot of bikes have room and nowhere to attach things. So we invented the soft rack, and the soft rack is about adding mount points across the back and down the sides of your bike. Um, we have three different flavors of soft racks, and it mostly depends on what bike you're riding to what's the best pick. That's the up, Uprising soft rack? That's yeah, and that's for your medium to large bikes. So like KLRs, Africa Twins, GSs, that style, that size bike. Um, we have our hardcore soft rack, which is more for enduro style bikes where the you have those narrow tapered fenders in the back and bikes with no subframe because we build in support bars with the hardcore. And then we also have a scramble, which is really for the guys that, just want to carry something on the side. It's very minimalistic. Um, it might be maybe you want to carry a couple of fuel bottles or something like that. That's usually where I suggest a scramble rack for. There's not a lot of top room on that one. Um, and from once you decide what soft track you want, we have different strap kits. So we have our, our Mondo straps is what I prefer for a top bag because it's basically two straps over the top. And we make those with the metal cam version, which is just Mondo straps. And the Mondo UL has a plastic buckle on it. And then our bag snake kit is what I like for side bags. And the reason being, we instead of using two cam tensioners like the Mondos use, we, we replace one of those cams with a double D-ring tensioner. And you do it just like your helmet buckle on the bottom. So it lets you loosen the top buckle, get in your bag, and it doesn't fall off your bike. And then you just pull it back tight again. Oh, I see. It's, it's kind of faster than the, the cam style. Yeah. And you only have for a, you know, for a side bag, you only have one tag in for slack and it's at the top. So that's, that's another good reason I prefer it for side bags as well. Now the <clears throat> Mondo straps, whether you run, whether you're going to use your system for luggage or you're running hard luggage, the Mondo straps are something that probably every rider, I think every rider should have. It's just two general purpose straps, aren't they? Oh yeah. Who doesn't need a pair of straps sometimes? Yeah. I mean, you always need, cause I mean, you go yeah. and get anything. I mean, you go pick up a pizza, you know, and you're going to need something to strap it on there. And uh, that, what I do with mine is I have them strapped on the bike. I leave them on all the time. They're all faded from the sun and everything, but um, they're always there for me, no matter what I get. And I use them all the time. That's how I do it too. I have on my 1190, I have my, my uprising on the back and um, I, the slack on the cams for the uprising. I just leave my cam tensioners there and I, pull them up on the slack of the side strap for the uprising. So that holds them in place. And I just put my runners in my bag and that, I mean, use them all the time. I've even trailered my bike with them in an emergency, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> which is, you know, name another strap that you can keep with you all the time that you could potentially trailer your bike with. It's, it's pretty handy to have. Yeah, definitely. Adam, I've asked you before, but, but um, what is it that's special about the straps that you're making? So we have, we have a tensioner section on, on our straps and it's, 
you know, when you when you pack a dry bag or any kind of luggage, especially riding off road, you can get luggage shift. You know, straps can get loose. Air comes out of dry bags. So that stretchy section, that elastic section is important to keep your luggage secure. But when we were designing ours, I didn't want that elastic stretchy part to be a weakness of the strap. So what we did, we have our tensioners are custom woven for us. The elastics are inside tubular webbing. So when you pull it out, the tubular webbing has a hard stop. It's as strong as a solid strap. But then if your luggage shifts, that elastic will hold it tight. And that's one of our, I think that's a pretty important differentiator for our products because you, you do have that full strength, but the benefit of elastic, I don't know, adds a lot more utility to the strap, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you have to make up for, for any sort of movement, like you're saying, because if you do use a strap that doesn't have that in it, it's almost, well, it's guaranteed to move at one point. Something's going to shift, particularly the, the more odd shaped things are, something's going to shift and it's going to loosen up. Yeah. So that's key. So why not just use um, bungee cords? If, if you have, you have experience with bungee cords? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Any injuries? When I first, <laughs> no, no injuries. But when I first got into uh, dual sport riding years ago, I had this uh, Cortec tail bag that I used on my street bike and it had two bungees on the bottom that held it on. And it, it was fine for street because it just, it didn't move that much, you know. But when I started riding it on my KLR, and, and I'm talking about just forest roads, nothing even all that rough. I mean, I don't know how many times I stopped to pick that. The bike, the bag, the Cortec tail bag was just hanging on the side of the motorcycle. <laughs> and I just had to like lift it up, put it back on the top, you know. And it was that that was clearly not going to work long term. <laughs> yeah, some people like bungees, but I always think if, you, if you're running with bungees, you need to do two things. One is anytime you're dealing with them, always wear your helmet with the visor down. And yeah. then and when you're riding with them, make sure you've got your buddy behind you to pick up your stuff. Because I've, right. done, I've done the same thing right along behind somebody and you're, and you're picking up one after the other. It's almost, you're picking up more than it's or so much rather you can't catch up. Or in my case, I couldn't catch up to tell them, hey, stop, you're losing yeah. gear. It's like I'm picking up all your gear. And guess what I'm strapping them on with? Your straps. <laughs> there you go. And and honestly, you know, when they're new, they're not so bad. But as you use them and they age and they get less strong, they are freaking scary. We were in tourism before and, and we had one of the guides actually have a, a bungee come off of something and snap her in the eye. It was horrible. And, and she, lucky she recovered from it, but it was it was a real bad injury from it. You know, I've been smacked with them before when they pop off there. Yeah, I, I, I am not a fan of bungee cords at all for... Uh, for many reasons, but, um, well, that's great. So we can have a, a we can use any, any bag you want, um, including a dry bag and, um, by just using the, the green chili system. Well, Adam, that's great. Well, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I was speaking with Adam Owens from somewhere on the road, making his way back from Overland Expo. You can find out more about Green Chili Adventure Gear at greenchiliadv.com. Well, there you have it. I think we've had some really interesting uh, thoughts and, and ideas about panniers today. We even got a pillion perspective from Melanie Terp, which I think is often overlooked. So how about you? Hard panniers, soft panniers, or maybe the green chili system? Either way, make your choice on your own ideas from what you want from panniers. And my advice would be, don't let anyone tell you what you want. Having said that, remember, in the end, it's just a box or bag for your stuff to go on your bike. 
What's really important is what you get from the ride. Yeah, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, MotoBreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to Elizabeth Martin, our producer, and of course, you, the listener, thank you very much for being a part of this. Hey, if you're not doing it already, we need your support. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on support. Anything $10 or more gets you an ARR sticker sent out to you for your toolbox, your pannier, whatever. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout-out on our other show, Raw, that we do. By the way, our other show, Raw, comes out once a month. You need to subscribe separately to that. You can get it anywhere you find podcasts, the same as Adventure Rider Radio. And the other thing we would love is if you would drop by iTunes and give us a five-star review. That helps other people find the show. Anyway, time to get it there and ride your bike if you can. Um, My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Hi, this is Charlie Borman, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.